Hello, everyone. I'm Isaiah Sullivan, and I'm very excited to be sharing my podcast, St. Small Talk, with all you listeners. My guest today on the podcast is Dave Palm, a criminal prosecutor for the city of St. Paul and a good friend of mine for a fair amount of years now. Please welcome Dave Palm to the podcast on this episode of St. Small Talk. Thanks for coming on, Dave. Been a while since we've actually been able to talk because of obviously the madness and everything like that. But but how you been? Yeah, I'm doing great. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, this is pretty cool. I've never done a podcast before. Yeah. <laughs> I've been, been on TV. I've been on the radio, but this is the first time a podcast. So. What were you on the TV and radio for? Oh, for cases and yeah. when I was in private practice a lot more then. Um, when did you switch over to being a, a prosecutor for St. Paul? I uh, started at the St. Paul City Attorney's Office in uh, February of 2005. Okay. So don't, don't people years? usually go the other way? Yeah. Don't I thought it was only public sector the, to private sector because yeah, right. that's where the money is. You want to get some money, right? <laughs> well, I, I did the money thing first, and then I, I, I <laughs> wanted to do you. public service, right? And I got about four more years left before I could maybe go back again <laughs> to, to the private sector. Sure. But we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. You're buying, you got four years of time, and then you're like, okay, I need some All money right. here. No, I mean, I, I really believe in public service in all honesty. I uh, When I went to law school, my dream always was to do it to help people, right? I mean, I mm. wanted to be a prosecutor probably since I was a little kid. I mean, maybe in kindergarten, the first uh, first thing people would ask really? me, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? I'm like, I want to be a lawyer. I want to be a lawyer. Cool. Yeah. Was, it always, was it always prosecutor or was it just you want to do law? Um, I, I think always law. I mean, the prosecutor thing probably developed, you know, as you – get older and watch TV, yeah. right? You see Law and & Order and <laughs> you see, uh, you know, Tom Cruise. Dun, dun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but so you went to Mitchell, right? Yes, correct. Billy Which, Mitchell. Mitchell. Yep, Billy, correct. Yeah. yep, Billy Mitchell. But you went there obviously before they merged and you're from Wisconsin. Yep. I was uh, born and raised in Wisconsin. I came here uh, with my wife, who was then my new bride, in uh, 2001. And we came here uh, for for law school, and because my wife had gotten a great opportunity at Alina, sure, because she's, she's a still there. Physical, yeah. physical therapist or yeah, occupational a, therapist? No, physical. Physical. Yeah, okay, she's okay. A, a DPT, doctor of physical therapy. So okay. she was. Uh, a, I think you told me this, she was the first woman or for, one of the first students at Creighton to get that degree. Yeah, correct. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, uh, Creighton University started the first uh, doctor of physical therapy program in the okay. country, um, and she was one of. I think it was the first 70 people to get it, and that was the first accredited. In the country. Yeah, and that was the first accredited program in the entire oh, geez. country. Yeah. So is that – it's different. It's not a PhD. It's not an MD. It's a doctor of – DPT. Correct. Yep. DPT. Okay. Yep. Wow. So you and your wife are both doctors. You don't, you don't make your kids call you, you know, doctor, Dr. Palm at the no, house? <laughs> no, we don't. No. Does your wife go by that, like, with her friend's kids at all? No, you know, she doesn't. Uh, you know, when we were growing up, and um, maybe you and I have talked about this, we always addressed our parents by Mr. or Mrs. Right? Yeah. We had to. Really? Right? Yeah. As I was growing up as a kid. And if a person was a doctor, you definitely called them doctor. For sure. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And now, you know, it's much more uh, sure. laid back, right? Yeah. I mean, some parents will have uh, their kids call me Mr. David. Right. Oh, really? Which you know, I you know, I went, it seems sure. like it's more informal, but it's so different. So yeah, no, none of our um, kids' friends call us by doctor. Do they call I've you never... Mr. and Mrs. Though? Not really. It's no first yeah. name, but your yeah. kids aren't even that old. No, they're ten and thirteen. Ten and thirteen. Yeah. So like, I mean, yeah, I mean, maybe they do sometimes. I shouldn't say that. I mean, uh. I, it's a lot of uh, this 
Mr. David. I mean, especially when they were little, it yeah. seemed like that was used a lot. I, I when I started working at my job at Thomas Liquors, um, the I, I used to call Mike Thomas Mr. Thomas. Oh, like, yeah. My first day, sure. And yeah. my first day, he goes, you know, Sully, like you can call me Mike, and oh, I go. Yeah. I don't know. It seems weird, Mr. Thomas. Yeah. And then, like, the, by next week, I was calling him Mike all the time. Like, Mikey, sure. Michael. Like, you just get so familiar sure, with someone right, around right, somebody right. that much. It's like, yeah, it's going to get kind of boring calling you Mr. Thomas the entire time. Well, it was good for me to be trained that way because, interestingly, um, when I worked at the Omaha Housing Authority right after college, yeah. I didn't go to law school right away. I went there. And as a respect thing, we addressed everyone as their – Miss, sure. Mr. Armstrong, oh, sure. Miss Beasley, right. because we're working a lot with low-income uh, families, right. and we we're trying to teach job training and respect and different things. So everyone, even the participants, we addressed by their um, yeah, Mr. and Mrs. So yeah. You're also kind of like honoring them with that respect right. and like yeah. recognizing the humanity in them. And so I, I yeah. think that's that makes a lot of sense to me. You kind of want to these people are vulnerable, and you want to treat them with as much respect and you know. They're obviously very humble by coming to you as an agency. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You said Omaha Housing Agency? Omaha Housing Authority. Yep. What, did, what did you do there? So that was when Shannon was uh, – my wife was in uh, her doctoral program at Creighton. Okay. So I moved out there for a couple of years and worked at the Omaha Housing Authority before I went to law school. Right. And it was a it was a great job. I mean, I was lucky to get it. So this was in the early 90s, keep in mind. This is when welfare reform was just mm-hmm. coming into play. Sure. And President Clinton had passed uh, the welfare reform. Temporary right. assistance for needy families. Yeah, correct. Very good. Come on. That's yeah. that's pretty good for a, for a college punk. Yeah, okay? you're pretty good. Who, was, who yeah. wasn't even alive in the 90s? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyways... Um, yeah, so I worked – we created this program where we were helping uh, uh, a lot of single moms, really, to get off welfare and to get jobs and get good housing and, and help them with child care and all kinds of barriers they had transportation because they were worried they were going to have their benefits cut, right? Because yeah. then it was two years and then your benefits were going to be done. Right. So at the time, Robert Armstrong, uh, Mr. Armstrong, as we referred to him, had got – was very innovative there, right? He had – he was known throughout the country as an African-American gentleman. And the Omaha Housing Authority was actually a primary African-American organization. I was right. one of the few Caucasians working mm. there, which was very interesting, <laughs> right? Coming few. from Fond du Lac, Wisconsin. Short white guys, guys right? hanging yeah. out. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and, and um, anyways, uh, we created this program and we helped a lot, of, a lot of folks. And there was job training there and people learned skills and trades and uh, got their GDs and then went and on to get uh, – Ba- you know, someone on to get bachelors. It was amazing. It's pretty cool. How long would be like the relationship? Like someone walks in one day, you know, the first time ever. How long are they working with you at that agency until they're able to, you know, walk on their own feet? I don't. I shouldn't say walk on your own feet. Just you know, uh, um, graduate. From gra- that graduate program. from that program. Yeah. Thank you, Marshall. Yeah. What, what just depend? I mean, so I did that for two years. Right. While Shana finished up her doctorate. So there were folks there that I worked for with an entire two years. You know, there were some um, uh, uh, folks, some um, females who did it for only like, uh, you know, six months. Right. If, yeah. they, if they only needed to maybe get an associate's degree and then they got a good job, they moved on. Right. And and they gradually then went off the program. And it was, it was, it was very rewarding. Where'd uh, your funding come from? Uh, it came from. Um, the federal government and then the state both. Okay. But this this program was a special grant that the Omaha Housing Authority got with the Nebraska Department of Social Services. Okay. So we're working hand in hand as a pilot program to help uh, uh, citizens get off welfare. 
right? Is so, that are they still? Was that still functioning today? Uh, I'm not sure. I don't know. Okay. I haven't. You know. Uh, I mean, there's programs all over the country that still do that, yeah. right? I mean, right here in the Twin Cities, there's those type of programs. But I don't know if that exact program is still uh, going the way we had created it back so then. When you were in Omaha, were you going to law school at that time? Or no. did you just start when you came up here? I started when I came here wow. in 2000, uh, yeah, or 97, oh, 97. Okay. So you kind of, you, you and your wife traveled from place to place, like, wow. all right, this is your chance to work and I'll get the degree you now, now you can work and, and I'll, I'll get educated. Yeah, it, that is really basically what we did. It, it worked out pretty well. Yeah. I mean, because- You stumbled has, into St. Paul. Yeah. <laughs> but that was your plan eventually to go to law school? Yeah, always. Like, yeah, okay. that was always my plan. Okay. I, I mean, I didn't get to go right away because of, you know, many reasons. Sure. Um, some of it was financial sure. and yeah. I decided to take a little break and, uh, you know, I was worried because I took the break that I wouldn't go, but this was something I always wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And so I did go back and I'm glad I did. I mean, I, that was a dream I had. That would have probably been disappointing mm-hmm. if I didn't, um, you know, so, uh, yeah, it worked out and it worked out really well because then, especially for me, I didn't have to take out as much student loans cause I went four years at William Mitchell and I did the part-time program. Oh, sure. Yeah. And, uh, I think you yeah. told me that once. Yeah. And so I was blessed in that I didn't have a ton of student loans. Now my wife was really working hard, right? <laughs> and she was working right. a full-time job. Right. She was working uh, on-call stuff and I was working. So uh, we we didn't have kids uh, later, until later in life to about 35 is when we had our first mm-hmm. uh, child. So, yeah, what I mean- you, What were you I, doing when you were doing part-time stuff? Because you were doing part-time uh, law I was school. A, yeah, I was, uh, well, the first year I worked at um, uh, the YMCA on White Bear Lake doing a, a before and after school mm-hmm. uh, program for kids. Like, uh, you know, they come in early in the morning at five, their parents would drop them off and they'd, I'd help them get on the bus and we'd do mm-hmm. programming. And then sure. after school, they'd come there for a little bit after school. So uh, that, that much it, exposure to children and you still wanted them yeah. later in life. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you, it gave me a whole new appreciation for teachers. Yeah. Oh, I mean, oh, oh man. I knew right away that I never wanted, <laughs> wanted to be, to be a teacher. <laughs> what I'm fascinated by, though, is that both of those jobs, bef- or while or before you were going to law school, very um, touchy feely. You know, like very uh, yeah. working with people, understanding where they're coming from, kind of trying to meet their needs in kind of different. Uh, that. I mean, that's a, an unusual background for lawyers who sometimes maybe don't have that. I, I love lawyers. I don't have any problems with lawyers, but sometimes maybe they have the reputation of, you know, they go straight to undergrad, and then they'll go straight to law school. They're maybe not a lot of real world experience in that regard. Well, and, and that's, a, that's a really good point. And two things uh, that when me and you said that, people said to me, so always like, you're too honest to be a lawyer. And, <laughs> And I don't know, maybe they changed their mind now. You're too nice a guy to be a lawyer, right? Because I had done these type of jobs. The honesty, for sure, from knowing you. I mean, David is brutally honest. Well, maybe some judges would say too much. But anyways, um, yeah, no, that's a good point that uh, getting that real-world experience, I think, was helpful, actually. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's interesting at Mitchell because in the day program, because I took one class during the day in my first year, I was the oldest, right? And then in the evening program that they have, the part-time program where there's all kinds – it was it's fascinating because there's professionals like CEOs, yeah. doctors, you know, all these these people that had all this great experience in the Twin Cities and very successful uh, business people and they wanted to go get their law degree. It was amazing 
how much knowledge they had, right? Yeah. And could apply what we were learning in the classroom to the real world, which was so helpful. And then you went during the day and, and it was like, you know, people- Kids that look like me. Yeah. <laughs> and it wasn't bad, but, you know, I there's a big difference yeah. between what you learn in a classroom and what the real world is. I mean, and, and you know, law school doesn't really teach you to be a lawyer, mm-hmm. right? I mean, if you want to go and work in academia the rest of your life, you know, law school prepares you for that. But you really learn, in my opinion, outside of the classroom. That's how I learned best. Mm-hmm. I've always done internships and clerkships, and and I learned by doing, right? Mm-hmm. Is and, that how you learn how to lawyer, or is that how you, how you learn the structure of the law? Well, I, I don't think, for me, so after my first year of uh, law school, I was lucky in that I got a judicial clerkship right away, right? Which is also not, doesn't happen very often. Who are you with? I was with uh, Judge uh, Michael Fetch. Okay. And I worked with him for uh, a good four months or so uh, because his clerk was gone and his uh, court porter had had a baby. And so him and I, he liked me and he kept me on for a, a while. And we he was an amazing guy. I mean, Michael Fetch is, is an, was an amazing which, lawyer. Which, which court was he with? He was in district court okay. in Ramsey County. Gotcha. And, and he was a uh, good, he helped start the neighborhood justice center with like Michael DeCorsky and DeCorsey. I'm not familiar yeah. with that. That's Judge my next DeCorsey. neighbor. Yeah. Judge right DeCorsey. on Ridge Street. Yep. Great, guy. <laughs> Great guy. And, uh, and Salvador Rosas. And they were the early uh, attorneys that started the neighborhood justice center. Okay. And the neighborhood justice center is still around today. And they uh, represent um, folks who can't afford lawyers, right? Okay. You know, you get the public defender, and then you can also get Neighborhood Justice Center. Mm-hmm. And the cool thing now, and I think Judge Fetch would be happy about this, I'm very involved in our treatment courts. And the Neighborhood Justice Center represents all of the uh, defendants that are in our treatment courts. Oh, really? And they do just an amazing job. Yeah, these are these are great people. I mean, they don't get paid a lot of money to uh, do this work, right? They do it because they really believe in justice and mm-hmm. they want to help people. Right. Interesting. And um, so they contracted with the city with, or this neighborhood justice center with or? the state. With the state. Okay. Yep. So all the treatment courts are funded by the state. Gotcha. Yep. So they have a contract uh, with Ramsey County to provide legal representation um, uh, to to the folks that are in our treatment program programs. Have you been, you've been doing a lot of work with that, you said? Yeah. Uh, I've been probably, well, before, probably the last year and a half or year, I've been doing a lot of work with, especially our DWI treatment court. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think maybe you and I have talked about that and it's an amazing program. I mean, it's yeah. very intensive. I mean, it's not easy. <laughs> I mean, if you just want to, you know, come in and do your time, do your 30 days in jail or 90 days because treatment court takes uh it's very intense yeah and uh it can take up to years to people to complete it and it, it's a lot of work so but, what a, uh, it's life-changing i mean you know so what yeah what's the what's the benefit from it as opposed to doing 30 days in, in a well cell? i mean like for our cases the max these folks are going to do about 90 to uh 180 days is okay. the max. but i mean if you're in a felony level which is a lot of the case we have for dealing i mean you're looking at a year probably mm-hmm. i mean it's just to prevent from going to prison or jail for yeah. a certain time. And it's prison, right? Yeah. 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 Or, or a year in the workhouse. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And and there are some folks that are looking for ser- more serious time because, unfortunately, they don't just have a DWI, right? right. They have other stuff going yeah. on. Or right? they have several D- DWIs. Right. Yeah. Or, and drug charges or different things. And um, so they avoid going to prison or jail. But the the biggest thing that they get out of it, and we've it, it's just amazing. And I'm so proud of our participants, especially during the pandemic, because this has been oh, for hard sure. for a lot yeah. of people, right? And they have managed to do so well. 
And we kept uh, – one of the courts we kept going was were the treatment courts. We started that right away on the phone, and then we were the first ones to basically test out Zoom. Oh, really? And now everything's on Zoom, right? <laughs> all courts is – we're not doing any court in person at all right now. And everything's on Zoom. So we were kind of the guinea pigs. So that was cool. But then just to keep working with our participants who really needed this, right? And they were saying to us, oh, man, I really miss going to court. I mean, because they come really? every week. And, you know, you get so to what know do, them. what do you well. do when they're coming every week? What are they doing in court? Well, they, we, we get updates. We work with them. You know, there's probation officer that's assigned to that person that works with them very closely. We have treatment counselors that are working with them, uh, sometimes almost in the beginning on a daily basis. They have to check in. Okay. Um, and they have to come in and report on their progress. You know, did you go to your uh you know, your counseling. Did you go to AA? Do you have a sponsor? Did you do your community service? Are you working? What do you need from us? And then we would help them, you know, provide them services. Right. And, and, you know, if they're falling off and not doing what they're supposed to, they get consequences, right? right. Yeah. And and it, not so much now, but they'd have to do sentences of service where they go in the community and do community service work. Or if they're really falling off the wagon, they go back into custody for a couple of days. Yeah. Really? Right? Yeah. And so- Well, like AA meets every week, yeah, right? Correct. And yep. so it kind of follows that same sobriety kind of uh, rationale. Correct. There's yep. going to be a lot of responsibility with people like you who are doing the, the work and the administration. I shouldn't say administration, but maybe like- Handling the work, there's going to be a lot of confidentiality that you are privy to in that respect. Oh, oh yeah. It's it's amazing. Yeah. 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 And, but, you know, I've been exposed to that type of confidentiality. Even I worked at Omaha Housing Authority. For sure. And, you know, Boy Scouts of America, you know, you're dealing with a lot of confidential right. information then. You so Boy Scouts? I, I worked for the Boy Scouts for uh, nine months at, right after college. Oh, no kidding. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, again, another helping organization. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I was a Boy Scout. Were you a Boy Scout? Uh, I, I never made it to Boy Scout. I was a Weeblo. Okay. I was, boy, I made I was it all, a Cub Scout. I made yeah. it all the way to Star Scout, which is yeah. too short of Eagle, yeah. but it's like the two biggest steps. Like yeah. it's, it's not like yeah. I was too short of Eagle. It's like I'm five miles away from Eagle Scout. Right. But, right. But no, it's not way. easy to become no. an Eagle Scout. It's a lot of no, work. No, no. Yeah. Up until my 18th birthday, like my old Scoutmaster would be like, you know, there's still time. There's still time. <laughs> you can come back. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm done. I'm done. Do you have to get it by a certain age? I can't remember. 18. You do have to you, be Eagle not, Scout. Uh, yeah, you got to be an Eagle Scout by the time you're 18, and then you're an Eagle Scout for life. Wow, yeah. that's the, that's that's the. Well, it's kind of a big fraternity, right? I mean, yeah, it's amazing. I mean, now um, things have changed enormously. Right. Yes, but I remember when I went out, when I got this job right out of college, I went. They flew me out to Texas for like a couple week training, right? Uh, and I'm at the national headquarters in Irving, Texas, and it's it's a big it it's a huge operation, yeah. right? Yeah. And they yeah. had. You know, back then, especially where I grew up, the Boy Scouts was huge, right? Yeah. Um, I think they're not as – I mean, right now, our generation, especially with the pandemic, doesn't do that stuff as much, right? No. I mean, the younger generation. My generation, even your generation, Isaiah, probably. Well, yeah, I went camping once a month in grade school yeah. with, with the Boy Scouts. Mm -hmm. And uh, up until, like, my first year of high school, too. So, yeah, we did a lot of stuff like that. Yeah. But – well, you know, but, you know, my wife is a, is a leader with um, a good friend of ours, Alex Coates. Uh, you may even know Alex. I she do. was the um, CFO for Health and Human Services. Now is the CFO at Ramsey County. So she okay. works with Mr. O'Connor. Yeah, I probably met her. Yeah, and she's amazing. And, and her and my wife uh, do a Girl Scout troop for my 10-year-old uh, daughter. Oh, yeah? And so 
it's really important, right? I mean, just uh, from a social aspect, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I don't want to necessarily get into their views of the Boy Scouts and the sure, Girl sure, Scouts sure. and uh-huh. that, but it, it's important for kids to be part of those things and learn, you know, uh, working together and teamwork and, you know, uh, helping others. Well, for sure. And that's what they do, right? They do service projects. I've gone sometimes and done some of the things with them. Like we've gone camping. Yeah. We did fishing and I taught the girls how to fish, which was pretty cool. A lot of dads always cool. It's like, well, maybe now they'll go fish with me. I'm like, well, <laughs> yeah. even so, my daughters will fish with me, but as they get older, it's And as you know, I love fishing. Yeah. But, um, uh, you know, learning those skills, I think, and exposed to those things for both male and females are just, it's its its really cool. So right? you grew up in Fond du Lac? Fond du Lac, yeah. So we Born won't go raised. into the whole Packer oh, versus I don't want to do this. We, like, yeah, the, yeah. I feel like every guest we have here is like some connection yeah, to the Packers, Packers yeah. and it's just ridiculous. Yeah. But did you grow up in an environment that was uh, legal? I mean, did either of your parents, uh, were they lawyers? Did uh, where did you kind of get that from? Do you think? Yeah, no, that's uh, that's a great question. So neither of my parents have college degrees. Okay. Yeah, they're very blue collar. We came from very modest means. Uh, uh, my parents made a lot of sacrifices for me. To, I went to Catholic private school my whole life, but I had to help pay. Mm-hmm. Like I had a paper out in seventh grade. That was really my wow. first job. Yeah, and um, you know, so it, it, it was a great childhood, but it wasn't easy, right? I mean, right. I always thought we had money because I was hanging out with all these rich people, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like going to Creighton or SBA, right? right? So, I, you know, but as I got older, I learned like, oh, we, we're kind of the, the poor family here, right? Yeah. You know? And, um, but I never felt poor. I mean, we always had enough and we were provided for, but it was always a struggle. But um, uh, yeah, I, it's interesting. Um, there are some people that as I was growing up, um, I can think like, really took an interest in me. Mm-hmm. Now, I had a great dad and a great, my grandfather, my mom's mom and I are very close mm-hmm. and they were very influential and wanted me to go on and get higher education and be successful. My dad served in the military and so did my grandfather. My grandfather served in World War II. My no father kidding. served in the Vietnam War. Oh, really? Okay. So they both wanted me to go in the military and I think they really would yeah. have liked to see me become a JAG, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, and yeah. now if I look back on it, like after 9-11, so it's, yeah. it, I graduated in 01, right? Yeah. I remember sitting at CLE with my good friend, Lane Jeffrey, who actually did serve in the military. He's a Green Beret, right? Yeah. And he had been a cop and then he decided to go to law school right. later, a little later in life. Um, and I was sitting with him and one of his partners from his firm. And we're just sitting there watching this. And Lane's looking at me. I'm looking at him like, he's like, Lane's like, yeah, maybe I should go re-enlist, right? Really? Yeah. You know, because he was a, he was an army. He was a military guy. He's a Green Beret. He served on the DMZ sure. in, you know, in Korea. Oh, oh really? Yeah. That's, my buddy, that's Lane. Yeah. Really uh, intense spot. Yeah. The, D, the DMZ where you're just eyeballing these North Koreans all day. Yeah. Right? And it's, it's just, just hoping nothing, yeah, yeah. nothing happens, right? Hopefully no yeah. one draws a weapon. That is crazy. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it was pretty intense. We're just watching this and we're in disbelief. And, and I look, I'm like, yeah, maybe I'll become a JAG and you should go back and maybe we'll sign up. I mean, we're having this conversation that's yeah. going on. How old are you at the time? Oh, let's see. So that was 01, right? So yeah, that was 19 years ago. I would have been 30. So Did I you still, say you just graduated law school in 01? I just graduated. Okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. So September 11th, I just graduated uh, in in May, mm-hmm. right? I was waiting for my bar results still, right? Really? Oh. Yeah. So I got my bar results in October and, uh, you know, and I was hoping I passed. And everyone's like <laughs> crossing their fingers and their right. toes like, God, I don't want to go through that again. And uh, anyways, um, yeah, it was it was pretty nuts. And so- I didn't, but um, I think that's something. If I went back, I, I think I would. 
I would have liked to try to serve. It is interesting what Marshall was saying, like all these things that play into you now becoming a prosecutor and like prosecutor having this kind of now probably more than ever somewhat of a negative connotation, you know, and seen as a kind of a heartless figure. Mm. But when you started off as like a, a uh, in private practice, did you want to go into becoming a defense attorney or a prosecutor? The law firm that I w- worked at, uh, Kelly and Fawcett, which is now Kelly Lemons, uh, and Patrick, still one of the named partners, even though he's semi-retired. I was lucky because they had – they represented a lot of municipalities, one being the city of Maplewood. Sure. And so when I got brought on, one of the reasons why they wanted to hire me is because they wanted me to be the prosecutor for the city of Maplewood. So in short order, I became, you know, uh, there was another individual that was the lead prosecutor, but then they had me become the lead prosecutor. And so I did that, and I also did a lot of uh, city work, but then we also did defense, right? Okay. So we represent, I did criminal defense privately, but we also represented the uh, Fraternal Order of Police, the Teamsters. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did a lot of labor type uh, defense type work. This isn't the law firm that Marty Norder works at, is it? Yes, it is. it is. Okay, yeah, it is. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Marty, yeah. Marty, and Marty, are good a friend, friends too. Yeah, a yeah, friend of yours and a friend of mine. Um, Marty's a great guy. Young, young dad, St. Yeah. Paul, uh, gifted lawyer. I have no idea if he's a good lawyer, oh, but he's, he's, but he's lawyer. a really yeah. good guy. Judge DeCourcy, yeah. he clerked for Judge DeCourcy. Oh, really? Okay. No, I, I think he did. He might have. I know he was just a law clerk too, and clerk for one of the judges. You know, but. Marty and I got to know. He's, he's, he's a shop. Uh, he, he shops at Thomas, uh-huh. and so I got to know him a little bit just from meeting him and whatnot, and like. So you slowly build on pieces of information with customers because, like, you get maybe a minute to talk to them every time they're in. And so, like, over the course of a year and a half, you're like, oh, it's, oh you remember Town & Country? I think I caddied in a group for you once, blah, blah, Oh, you're a lawyer. And then, like, after a year, it's like, oh, no, we have this great mutual friend, Dave Palm, that yep. we both know. Yeah. <laughs> and we would just talk about him the rest of the time. When I think Marty uh, said to me, so we're going to have to maybe come back if you guys are happy. Yeah, Marty's, he, like, he, Marty's he, like, put me he, on. Yeah, Give me, like, me, me and Dave. Me and Dave. So now I got Dave. on first before him, right? <laughs> I know. Oh, yeah. Well, we're seeing, we're seeing how you go. And oh, maybe, yeah, right. If, yeah, if it goes well, maybe Marty gets to come on. He might have ruined it for Marty. No, he's a great guy. I'd love to come back. Because you said municipalities. And I just remember him. He says that he works... That's like his area of the practice is yep. working municipalities. Yep. Yeah. yeah he does a, uh, a lot of the prosecution. They have a lot more contracts now too. Oh, yeah. uh, they uh, do Stillwater and Maplewood and, 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 you know, they're really, that's a great firm. How many lawyers they got? Uh, geez, What'd you I, guess? I guess you don't know. I, I can't, I don't, I'd have to, I mean, if I sat and figured it out, I think 10, maybe eight okay. or 10 now. It's a, you know, it's a, I mean, say, uh, Kelly and Fawcett originally was Bannigan and Kelly, right? Yeah. So judge. When you were there? Uh, no, it just become oh. Kelly Fawcett when I started. It was Bannigan Kelly had already become Kelly Fawcett. So uh, John Bannigan was the other partner. But the, the big thing is when uh, Ed Cleary, Justice Cleary, right, okay. uh, was working there, uh, had an office there as he was a part-time public defender, did the big RAV Supreme Court case, hmm. right? So he was working at I'm that firm. I'm not familiar firm. with that. Sorry. Uh, it was a case in St. Paul that went all the way to the Supreme Court. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, and Judge Cleary at the time was working at Bannon and Kelly or had an office there as he got this case, right? Uh So, I mean, there's some really, uh, you know, me excluded, but there's some pretty (laughs) pretty people that came from that law firm. What was RAV? Do you know, Marshall? No, I don't. So it was a case that went up. Dave's looking at us like everybody knows RAV. Uh, I don't don't think everybody's a lawyer here, Well, it's, you know, we could could do, maybe we should have, you know, what we should do, actually, what you guys should do is try to get, because I think Justice Cleary is retired now. Oh, really? You should have him come in and talk about the whole case. 
Well, what, and, and, and cool. it's 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 a case about. I should uh, have a little bit of background before I say that's a fantastic right. idea. Yeah. It's like turns and, out I totally disagree with it. I'm like, oh my wow. god. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I mean, I, I can't remember all the details of the case, but as I recall, it had to do with um, a juvenile who I think, um, and I should Google it quick so I got this right. Uh, was I think put a cross on someone's front yard and mm-hmm. and. I think yeah. so, but um, I can't remember all the details, but uh, it, it went all the way to Supreme Court. Judge Clary won. Really? And that kind of made his career, right? He became a district court judge and then sure. he became a uh, court of appeals. And then I think he retired just recently yeah. and he was the chief justice of the court of appeals. Hmm. So another, no, uh, not a, not, not a, uh, a lightweight, a lightweight. No, by any means. no, no, yeah. no, no. Yeah. But no, so we're talking about, we kind of got off. Doesn't matter though. Um, we're talking about you working for this private practice, mm-hmm. and your transition from realizing I don't want to do this. I want to go work for the city of St. Paul, and how that occurred. Mm-hmm. You know, so you said you were working with. You became the prosecutor for Maplewood through a contract with this law firm. Right. Yeah. So the the firm already had, had that contract. Okay. Uh, and so one of the things they wanted me to do was work on that contract. But before I went even to uh, the firm, I w- had worked at the Ramsey County Attorney's Office yeah. for two and a half years. And so I was uh, a, pro- uh, a certified student attorney there. You were working while you were in law school at the yeah. Okay. Right. And so um, a friend of mine that I'd met, uh, Robert Fowler, uh, at working at the county attorney's office when he, I was a law clerk and student, but he was an attorney, like a term sure. attorney. He went to this firm uh, Kelly Fawcett. And then he knew when I was done, graduated, that they needed another lawyer at the firm. So he contacted me and said, hey, you should come work at the firm with me, Dave. So where so, did you go to undergraduate? I went to, uh, you guys are going to get upset again because that brings oh, back those St. Packers. St. Norbert. St. Norbert College. Okay. Uh. Training camp uh, location for the yeah, right. the great Green Bay Packers. It's been such a weird time. I love college, right? Yeah. I mean, I love going to St. Norbert. I have dear friends from there. We're still good pals. In fact, we text always during, you know, the Packer game. Sure. And, and facts. I, I, there's not a day that goes by like this, these five buddies of mine. I text back and forth. Yeah. And you know what? It's been really important. And you understand this, Isaiah. I think going to Creighton um, to have that nucleus mm-hmm. of yeah. friends, especially when you're going through something like a pandemic. Sure. I mean, it, the cool thing is, you know, we've done Zoom calls, we've kept in touch with texts and, you know, and and stuff like that. And, you know, it helps get through tough times. Uh, I can't emphasize enough, I think, how important college is from that standpoint, right, to build yeah. that community, uh, especially in these days. And it's hard, and I feel bad for people in college because I loved college, right? I yeah. go back to college in a heartbeat. I still I do love, love college, right? Not, you do, yeah. but it's not the same experience. Absolutely not, right? I mean, it's, it's not. You're not going to do social events. You're not going sure. to, you know, out to eat with your friends. You're not going to the cafeteria. You know, one of my favorite places to go to is Surly. Yeah. yeah. Right? Well, not so a, yeah. I got a great buddy, uh, uh, Kenny, who works there, and we were there. You know, we were, they had lim- you had to have an invitation. You had only limited people there. Sure. We had our, our table, and you know, everyone's really spread out, and we were all spread out. We were wearing masks up when we were sipping a beer, and that was just sad. I mean, yeah. Surly is a destination oh, place. It's, right. it's I mean, the mecca for, yes. for for brewing, right? I mean, people, my buddies who live all over the country say, "Palms, palms, we want to come to, we right. want to come to Minnesota, we want to go to Surly. That's right. the first place yes. we want to go." Huge loss. Yeah, and so I, I don't know. I think they're going to reopen. Really. 
But I, I mean, that's what my buddy tells me, and and he's talks the owner. I mean, it, it's a great brand, right? Yeah. And and we were there the night before they closed, and luckily I got a you know a hat and I bought some stuff, yeah. and and I'm like, God, you know, is this going to be a vintage right. thing, right? Or are they going to be back? And right. I want them to be back, right? We it's want gonna everything be to be back. The right? old, it's going to be Porky's memorabilia. You know, that's what it's going to turn into. That's what it's going to turn into. But I mean, we're losing so many institutions, and I feel so bad, like for my buddy Blake, Mom Pettit, who owns Tiff's, right? Great guy. You know, Pat John Mancini, Skinner's, right? Pete Molly. Yeah. I mean, these folks are having a tough time. I mean, you know, the good thing is they've been around a long time. You know, like Mancini's owned their building, and and Skinner owns the building. But, you know, Blake and and Brent, they don't, right? They rent. Yeah. and even if you're not open, you're not having to pay staff or to food that, but you still got rent, you still yeah, got insurance, right. you still got all kinds of things, and they're not getting any money. The sad thing is St. Paul, as we talked about before, is a ghost town. Yeah, I really Oh, is. yeah. I mean, and I don't see a lot of those places. I mean, the only place I think is still open is yeah. Bulldog, Subway, and Herbs and Gerbs, right? <laughs> yeah. And I haven't been down there uh, recently. I had to go down maybe a week and a half ago for a... a not to the office, but just for something over the noon hour I had to take care of. Uh, and um, it's just, it's it's different. Yeah. And, you know, and the homeless thing, we used to not have that. Yeah. Pretty yeah. aggressive panhandling. Yeah. When you're walking down Kellogg. Yeah, it's tough. If man. you're going to walk, you know, like five or six blocks and it's early evening, you get panhandled pretty aggressively. Yeah. yeah. We were talking with Ryan O'Connor about the stuff that, I mean, they got a lot of programs that they're rolling out. Right. Seems yeah. like every day trying to help people down there. Yeah. And uh, again, I mean, that's a systemic issue that mm. has to be dealt with in the long run. And there, and there's a lot of short term uh, areas where we can alleviate issues, but there's also a lot of long term issues that have to be focused on and worked on. But yeah, I mean, same with uh, Minneapolis and Dinkytown. As soon as I turn onto Huron off 94. Well, and I worry, you know, that trial's coming up. So we're talking about Derek Chauvin and George Floyd. Yeah, yeah. the trial's coming up. And, and I'm, I pray every day, I got my fingers crossed, my toes again, just to yeah. use another phrase, that, you know, we don't have any issues. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm hoping for peace. I mean, um, uh, it just would be terrible if we have to go through that again. I mean, the decision was made to have the trial here yeah. in the Twin Cities. I mean, I was hopeful that they would actually move it outside of the cities. I mean, I don't want to comment too much yeah, about it. For sure. Our office is not involved in the case at all, as you guys know. It's yeah. been prosecuted by the Attorney General and the Hennepin County Attorney's Office. Uh, there was a change of venue motion to move it to a different um, a county because of, you know, all mm-hmm. the yeah. publicity. I mean, it's been, you right. know, worldwide right. story, yeah. right? So it's going to be difficult. I would not want to be picking that jury, no. right? No. And it could take weeks just if it doesn't go to trial. Um, so, you know, and, and I think for a safety concern, I mean, sadly, I, I know some of the attorneys involved, Tom Plunk and Earl Gray, they're great lawyers, right? And, and they're just doing their jobs, right? Yeah. And Earl Gray's been assaulted. Tom's had his uh, Oh, really? His car assaulted? damaged. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I didn't even see And Earl that. Gray's a big guy, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he, yeah. he, he's a big man. Uh, yeah. And so, and he's fearful, right? No and kidding. Tom's former, mil- former military, too. And he's been nervous. Really? You know? Right. And, you know, these guys are just doing their jobs, right? Yeah. Everyone is entitled to an attorney. Yep. It's, it's guaranteed under the Constitution, right. you know? Uh, any defendant, any person who's been charged with a crime, right? Yeah. And um, so I, I, I just hope that calmer uh, tempers will prevail, yeah. right? And cooler heads. Right. And, and, and let's just let the justice system play out on this and um, – and see what happens. Were you involved right. at all with the uh, Philando Castile trials? 
Uh, not directly. Not no. directly. Okay. No. Because because Choi was uh, Ramsey County. Yeah. He right. was he was the prosecuting lawyer, right? Correct. Yeah, the Ramsey County attorney prosecuted that case. In fact, a, a good friend of mine. Uh, Rick Dusterhoff, who I went to law school with and we were law clerks together, mm-hmm. was a trial. He's an amazing trial lawyer. And then there was another attorney that helped out from the U.S. Attorney's Office, I okay. recall. And his name escapes me right now. I remember it being, I don't have the exact fact, right? But it was the first time an officer was charged in some in, in this sort of crime or something like that. Mm-hmm. Well, it, was, it, it wasn't done via the grand jury. Well, okay, it wasn't. Yeah. Yet. Okay. Yeah. So mostly officers always in the past were... Uh, the case was sent to a grand jury. Sure. Right? In fact, even when you're going to do uh, murder one charges, they go to a grand jury. And the grand jury sometimes will say dismiss the charges? Well, they'll say there's not okay. you know, probable cause for the, for the indictment to go forward or the complaint. Gotcha. Right? And so um, it's kind of – it's a way to almost – Screen your case, right? In yeah. a way. I mean, I, I see both arguments for and against it, right? Um, I mean, they're not easy decisions, right? No. Any case you charge is not easy. And you know what? And sometimes I can be in my office and I'm I'm on it. Like, do I charge this case? Do I not charge this case, no. right? If you had a probable cause, right? And you never so want- So you can charge it without it going to a grand jury? Well, I can. I mean, okay, yeah, you can. Any, okay. yeah, most crimes you can. And even at the officer now, like with- Mr. Chauvin and with Philando Castillo, that case, yeah. uh, the officers, there was no grand jury. Oh, okay. The decision was made strictly by John Choi and, and attorneys in his office, right? Okay. Uh, in my understanding, Mike Freeman, attorneys in his office, in, in conjunction with, with Keith Ellison and attorneys sure. in his office, decided how to charge Mr. Chauvin and the other officers. Gotcha. Okay. So, um, but most most cases are discharged or not charged by an attorney who makes a decision. Right, but there are cases you you come across that are like, "Wow, is this is this a good case or not?" Right. So, talk to my colleagues, you know, and I'll be like of one opinion, and I'll talk to two of my colleagues, and they may have different opinions, right? Yeah. yeah. And those type of cases, you're like, then it shouldn't be charged, right? Okay. Because you never want. It's better that three innocent people go free than one. No wait, guilty three guilty. Excuse me, add that back. Right. Thank you, Marshall. Right. Yeah, then one. Innocent person go to jail. It's better that three guilty people go, go free, free than, than one, one innocent, innocent person goes right. to jail. Yeah. And that's actually the statistic that I literally was just reading today was an article about uh, the the death penalty. And right now what's going on is I'm sure you're aware Trump is really forcing in a lot of executions at the federal level before his uh, terms expired in January. My daughter brought this up to me the other day. And she, that those points yeah. you're making is that what she was talking about. It was interesting to talk to a 13-year-old who's in eighth grade about this. And she's like, well, Dad, that, that's just, just wrong. And she's just so um, adamant about it. And she knew about it more than I did, right? <laughs> I mean, I understand the death penalty. I understand We the don't even have it in Minnesota, do we? No, no, yeah. no. no. Um, and so our Supreme Court ruled that, you know, it's too cruel and unusual punishment and that yeah. um, we don't have it. And I, the political will is not here for the no, death penalty. I no. mean. You know, we're a pretty liberal state. It, it, it's a tough, it's a tough, tough issue. And so I said, I said to my daughter, I said, look, uh, you know, if, if someone, something happened to you or mom or your sister or any of our family members, you know, I'd probably be pretty mad. <laughs> right? I mean, I don't think they need the death penalty. Yeah, you know right, what I mean? I'd kill them myself. Yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, I'm not going to admit to anything on the record. This right? is, this right? is, this this is a city yeah. official. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it, it, it's a tough Tough right. issue. It you know, is. do two wrongs make a right, right? Yeah. And, I, you know, I don't know. I'm born and raised Catholic. And, yeah. went to, you know, I've been a Catholic since the day I was born. And so it's an issue I struggle with personally. But 
what about your background though in the law and your and your mm. your belief in the law? Doesn't the ultimate when you kill someone, you are taking away their entire right of appeal, right? The 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 idea that I'm convicted and I'm found guilty, but I always have the right to appeal, even though you know in criminal cases. How often are things overturned on appeal? Probably less than a percent, right? But that's an incredible right that you have that you can always take this to another court. You can always rehear this. Right. And especially to those who might have been initially convicted because they're black, they're poor, they, they had no education, what have you. The, the ability to come back and say, I want this, I want this case reheard and that some lawyer can find them and say you know what you were put into this position because you were you're not you know all that astute and you were forced into a, a, a confession and i'm going to take your case and i'm going to appeal it so that you aren't killed the moment that they're killed obviously appeals are done yeah, right and and that's like just from a legal point of view regardless of all the moralistic that you can get into that's what bothers me about the death penalty is that it just that fundamental beauty that we have in a free country that you can always re-argue your case is i've never away. heard that but, argument against well, it well i think it's i mean yeah that's a good point so you guys remember the netflix documentary that uh, came out what a few years ago was so popular about that case in manawak wisconsin exactly. right? what was it? how to make a murderer yeah, yeah. Right? Right. i watched that whole and thing i've never watched it sadly right yeah, but i've well. talked to a lot of my friends about it. everyone wants it further as well everyone wanted to talk to me about it right and i've let, read a lot about it and i actually knew that the guy i'd met him when i was at saint norbert the prosecutor did that sure. um and so, who didn't get very good? Uh, no, he was not portrayed. <laughs> no, well, no, not at all. Which I kind of thought was unfair. After oh, for sure. I, 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 mean, I, I, I mean, there was definitely a bend on that story. It was, yeah. it was right. very. It's to say how to uh, make a murderer. I mean, yeah. that's very yeah. right. But getting to your point, but that's very important, right? I mean, like I, we just talked about, you never want an innocent person to go to prison yeah. or be executed, right? And it does happen. I mean, let's be honest. Oh, yeah. I mean, we, as we know, there are people who've lost years of their life. They've missed their, their wives, their children, and they've sat in prison, and, and that's terrible. That's a great travesty. Mm-hmm. It, that, it doesn't happen that often. It shouldn't happen. But if it happens one time, that's one time too many. But that's why we need all these appeals. Right, because right. you don't want that to happen. Right. Every murder one conviction in the state of Minnesota automatically goes to appeal, right? Because you want really? to make sure we got it right. And you know, the great thing is in Minnesota, we've had the Innocent Project, right? Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. got all these offices now that have these uh, offices of integrity review, right? To right. review some of these cases to make sure did they miss something? Right. Did they get something wrong? You know, did DNA come out now? Right. And is this person actually innocent? And I think that is very important. I mean, if I was a county attorney or district attorney, I would be putting a lot of money into that type of thing. And I think that goes a long way to establish um, trust in our judicial system because we got a lot of work to do. I mean, we do. I mean, the good thing in the Twin Cities, and we have more work to do, but we were making huge strides before the George Floyd incident, right? In the city of St. Paul, we had started bail reform. We started the ethos program. We started diversion. We've started all these programs (laughs) to to create more opportunity for yeah. people not to have criminal records, right? Because I saw it as the uh, attorney for the St. Paul Public Housing Agency, right? Some of these guidelines come from the feds. We can't do anything about it. Sure. For instance, if you get busted for possessing a small amount of marijuana, 
even though that's only a petty misdemeanor, you lose your voucher or your public housing. Oh, really? Yes. Oh. Correct. Hmm. So now it's going to be interesting. And a good buddy of mine, uh, Josh Crowley, is the general counsel for the Denver Housing Authority. And I, Garrett, and so I, I spent a lot of time with those guys at different conferences and talking about these issues. Because when Colorado legalized marijuana, they were still required by the feds to kick people out of public housing, hmm. even though it was legal in their interesting. state. Because of the federal uh, guidelines and because of the rules and regulations about no drugs in public housing. Now, we try to be fair. I mean, that's one thing that I always do. You know, you try to what I talk about. You do the right thing, right? But these are the issues. Just because legally it's wrong doesn't mean a person should get knocked in a second chance, yeah. right. right? I mean, right. if your kids did something that would cause you to lose your housing and the rest of your family to be on the street right. or lose your Section 8 voucher— and that's one of the reasons why I only did that job for five years, even though I, yeah. the public housing agency is the best housing agency in the country. John Gutzman, Al Hester, these folks that run this housing authority, I mean, they're amazing, yeah. right? It's it's one of the it, – it, it, the year they uh, raided public housing agencies and they stopped doing it because St. Paul has won, is it was always the best housing authority in the country. And really? it still is. I mean, it's amazing. We are so fortunate. And and we still have a lot of problems here about the housing, but I think part of the reason we do is because people know that we take care of people here, mm -hmm. right? I mean, the Dorothy Day, the higher ground. Uh, I do a lot of volunteer driving lately because of the pandemic, and my wife's too nervous for me to go. But, you know, I used sure. to go once a month with my church at Lumen Christie, and we serve the meal, right? And I'd, I'd talk to all these people that came from Kansas City, Wisconsin, Illinois, and they say, well, I came here even though I don't have family because you guys— you know, this is a nice place and you take care of people. Right. You know, I'm like, why would you come here, right? The winters are brutal. Yeah, right. I know, you know. But, um, and I don't want us to ever get away from that because we, I mean, you know, as Isaiah, our religion tells us, we have to look out for each other, yeah, right? right. And, you know, at the Omaha Housing Authority, is that famous, uh, or Father Flanagan's place, you know, he ain't heavy, he's my brother. Right. Right, yeah. that saying? Right. That Father Flanagan, you, you know? Yeah. yeah. And uh, so I, we just need to get back to that, I think. Uh, and we want to make sure with the death penalty that, you know, one of our brothers says, even though they've done these terrible and evil things, I mean, they're just terrible, yeah. right? Like I said, if someone did that right. to my family, unspeakable, unspeakable right. things, you know, they're still human beings. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know what the easy answer is. I'm, <laughs> I'm not making sense. I'm glad right. I don't have to. You know, the good thing about where, where I am now, I don't have to charge murder cases. I don't have to deal with, mm -hmm. you know, rape It's never a city-level case? No, no. no. I, you know, we do see uh, child abuse, mm -hmm. domestic abuse. I've done a lot of domestic abuse cases in our office. And, you know, I was part of the group that started the Blueprint for Safety and the uh, Bridges of Safety program we have now oh, in, yeah? in Ramsey County, which is amazing, right? And, um, you know, the St. Paul Intervention Project has done enormous things. Uh, Shelly, who runs that, to help domestic abuse uh, victims. Right. But it's still a huge problem, and it's gotten worse during the pandemic, unfortunately. You know? Oh, I believe it. And so— A lot more people staying home. A lot yeah. more yeah. Lot more opportunity for yeah. issues Coop to be Trump. created domestically. Well, I, I can tell you a lot of my friends who, you know, are traveling for their jobs. I've got to spend time with their <laughs> wife and family. It's, right. <laughs> you know, it's great when you're a Thursday through uh, Monday dad. Yeah. You know, yeah. you can come in and kind of cook and everything's— uh, you I know, make pancakes yeah. on Saturday yeah. morning. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, it's leave it to Beaver. I'm the cool dad. And, yeah, yeah. You know, and I'll take the kids to their sports and, you know, we'll for maybe sure. go to Starbucks and we'll go shopping and— Right. Oh, I got to leave Sunday night. I'll be gone Monday. See you Thursday, honey. Right. Okay. And so uh, I think it's been hard for a lot of people. I, yeah. I mean, but, you know, the cool thing is we've also got to spend a lot of time with our families, right? right? 
And we live in a great neighborhood that we've gotten a lot, you know, our neighbors, we've, we still do things socially distanced. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, We're following the governor's order though. Don't don't want, don't want. Don't want the governor calling uh, well, Melvin was, tomorrow and yeah. saying, <laughs> you, gotta, uh, you, you know, you that city attorney, that he's, he's kind of gone rogue. <laughs> I love the idea of that Tim Walls right now is listening to my podcast. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, I, I mean, if he wants to know what's going on in St. Paul, yeah, he's I think know you guys got to know. Says. You guys got the pulse on that. So the, the statement, um, beyond a reasonable doubt, that, that can be read two different ways, right? Beyond a reasonable doubt. Like you have to be sure of this beyond all reasonable doubt. And then the other way of reading it is, well, beyond a reasonable doubt, you have to be sure. Because everyone's going to have a reasonable doubt because they weren't there. How do you read that statement? Well, that's interesting. And so, and, you know, I'm kind of rusty because I had to do a jury trial in a while. But, uh, there's a <laughs> When's whole, the last time you did a jury trial? Uh, let's see. Probably. The city doesn't go to... Oh, we do a lot. Yeah, no, I, mean, I, do. I mean, you're oh, like yeah. one of the – you litigate uh, yeah. some of the most of the attorneys in the, in the city. Well, officer, do, when, when I'm in the trial unit or domestic unit, I probably do, you know, a couple trials a year, right? Okay. I mean, it's hard to do trial. I'm just going to be harder now with the backlog, yeah. right? Because right. you got to keep in mind, when you do a trial, it takes up about a week right? of yeah. trial, of least, court, yeah. or three – at least a couple days, sometimes a week. Um, anyways, uh it's it's what would a reasonable person believe, right? Okay. You know, it's not a hundred percent, but it's almost like a hundred percent, right? I mean, what would a person believe this person did or didn't do the crime, right? And it, it, when I do a case, right, it, for me, it it, it has to be a hundred percent. Right. I mean, if I find some evidence, I have a duty under the rules of professional responsibility. If I get a piece of evidence and this has happened, right, I've been starting a trial or sometimes a trial. I'm like, oh, man, this this person didn't do this. Right. There is really? another person, sure. you know, and and you have to dismiss the case. Right. I mean, ethically and morally. And, you know, I can live with myself if you didn't do that. Now, I hope every prosecutor offers under that assumption. Sure. Yeah. Right. Um, so. It is a high, high burden, right? And you'd think, God, how can you ever convict anyone? But that that's the point, right? Because if I do win a jury trial and, you know, I've been pretty lucky yeah, in my you, career. I've, is it is it still one hand, the number of losses? Or? <laughs> yeah, yes, it is. is it? Is yeah. it? I remember that's the, exactly like the, one of the first five, things he told yeah, me. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it might be four. I don't know. But, you know, the thing is, uh, you don't, uh, you know, I've done a ton of cases. I don't know, hundreds, yeah. right? I mean, trials. I mean, you talk about arbitrations, mediations, administrative hearings, court trials. You know, you don't really remember all the ones you won. I don't, unless it was a big win. I mean, you always feel good when it, domestic abuse cases, I usually remember because, um, you know, they're pretty serious, yeah. right? And, and, and it's tough because these victims have to uh, exercise enormous courage and strength to get out yeah. of these situations. I remember a lot of those trials, but, um, you don't remember all the cases you won in no. your career when you, you've been doing it as long as I have. St. Paul is, you know, more of a progressive city, but I was just kind of wondering, like, do you see those efforts happening in St. Paul to make sure that everything's done in an equitable way, you know, especially as a, as a prosecutor and a criminal prosecutor? Well, I, I mean, I think I mentioned a little bit about the efforts that had started before, you know, uh, what happened to Mr. Floyd, right? Yeah. I mean, we we had started uh, the bail reform movement in our office. We had looked at what cases 
Uh, we're going to charge. How are we going to charge them? Will they be charged in custody? Will they be charged out of custody? Yeah. We had looked at bail reforms, and we had um, lowered a lot of our bail amounts to make them more uh, equitable. Uh, there's certain cases now we're not even asking for bail, right? Yeah. We just revo- we, did, we hired Justice Point uh, to work with us on our diversion program. Right. And we redid all our bail evaluations and we started the ethos program in the city attorney's office. Uh And uh, ethos is where the court is involved. I mean, the community decides how people should be uh, punished. Right. As far as there's like sentencing circles and it comes out of, uh, you know, the traditions of um, the circles that the Indians did in the Hmong culture, how a community, uh, you know, disciplines their own people or or, or punishes them. Right. Yeah. And and it, it's and then the cool thing is the court is involved at all the community decides, and if the people do what they're supposed to if they participate in this program, and they do what the circle asks like community service or you know they have to go and and you know pay restitution and and write a letter of apology or meet with the people uh, the victims and and it's 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 to restore. Uh, their trust in the system, restore their position in the community, and it's very cool. I mean, it's, no. it's I, I, I mean, I can't even better word other than it's 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 really powerful. It's really awesome. It seems super unique too. I've never oh, heard. Of we're that. the only. We're the third uh, city in the entire country to start this. In yeah. the entire country. So we're on the cutting edge again. And, and St. Paul has always been on the cutting edge of these things, right? And and so, but I don't think everyone always knows that and hears that. Yeah. And that was started, that, that was started over a year ago. I mean, it's, we've been working on, I was part of the team that got that program up and going. Mm. We did this before, uh, you know, yeah. it became a big thing to do it. We yeah. were already doing this. Mm-hmm. And so, but that's what we need to do more of. Yeah. Right. And, and if we do those things and we work on restoring trust in the community, right, especially with the police, and we got to get back to community policing and doing different things. And when I started a long time ago, the police were so involved in the community. Right. Yeah. They were doing these programs where, you know, we played basketball over at the McDonough housing projects. Right. We took kids fishing. We, we did those things like you talked about in the beginning, getting back to where we were, the right. circle, right. like the helping things. Right. Yeah. And I would do those things because I like that. I do it. But not everyone likes to do those things. Mm-hmm. But if we really, really want to heal this community, which we need to do. We need to do. Then we're going to have to get back to it. We're going to have to get yeah. over this pandemic, and we're going to have to learn to be together again and how we solve things together without yelling at each other, without burning things down, and working together as a community to solve these problems. Because if we do that, we do that, then this this is a great community, right? The Twin Cities are a great place. We've always looked at it as one of the best ways to live. It, it's gotten tough, but we need to get back to that so we can be a great place and a great community again. And we are. We will. Thank you, David Palm, my friend. Uh, Thank you for having me. This is pretty fun. Let's do it again. Thank you for everyone for listening to St. Small Talk. St. Small Talk is brought to you by Minnesota Podcasting Studios, Minnesota's premier podcasting outfit for professional and entertainment podcasts alike. Our logo design is made by Galen Rick at Mighty Fine Design, a Twin Cities-based graphic design company. Thanks, Mom and Dad, for listening. 